Hello and welcome to this episode of 10,000 Posts, the show about how everything is posting. My name is Hussein. My name is Phoebe. And this week we are joined by a guest. Uh, we haven't had we haven't had her on for a while, uh, but we did have a section of the audience, the listeners, who did really want this guest back. We are joined by Roisin Kybird. Uh, Roisin is a writer, journalist, uh, who also wrote the book that we talked about in the last episode we did with her called The Disconnect, A Personal Journey Through the Internet. It's a very, very good book. You should read it, not least because it does have, uh, to my knowledge, the only uh, ranking uh, of Monster Energy drinks. I do refer to that quite a lot. Uh, Roisin, how's it going? And also, have you updated the ranking since, like, I think there have been like several new flavors that have come out. Um, and I wondered whether you had any updates on the rankings since then. No, thank you so much for having me back on. It's it's absolutely lovely to be on. Um, I have given up Monster Energy, um, and my arteries oh my God. have benefited enormously from that decision. Sure. But I've learned that Logan Paul has got into the energy drink game. I, I think that's yeah. prime, yeah. right? Is that his thing? I see yes, them everywhere. Yeah, which is which is which is very different. It is it is different from Monster. I do want I do want to clarify this as someone who does doesn't really drink Monster, but is very invested in the lore of it. Um, Prime is more like a juice drink. It's like a very high kind of sugary, colorful juice drink that was is much more in the realm of like all the YouTubers releasing kind of snack foods and stuff so like i don't know whether you know but mr like mr beast has his range of like chocolates and stuff which is kind of strange and logan paul's and ksi's were these uh these kind of very sugary panda pop tasting energy drinks with uh these very bright but unremarkable uh like with types of graphic design yeah they have the primary colors it's flashy yeah. to appeal to the teen boy market um, yeah. No, I've yet to try them, and I feel like they could demand an essay all their own. But, uh, I might leave it to <laughs> someone else. My dentist has told me to quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> I did. You know, the last time I went to the dentist, there was a guy who was drinking Monster in the waiting room. I think for that was one of the funniest things. <laughs> that is an like affront, the, yeah. right? I, and I and I do wonder whether this was like a, like a deliberate affront to the dentist, or whether the guy was so so like addicted to monster that he had to have it even even as he was going yeah i feel like one of the places where I, it's a you've got to have real balls of steel to like drink a fizzy drink in a dentist waiting room <laughs> that's like lighting up a cigarette as you wait for the dentist <laughs> like, <laughs> or just conspicuously chewing toffee <laughs> yeah <laughs> just like making making your dentist life as hard as possible i'd be interested in reading a, a dentist ranking of what the most what the most fuck you thing that you could possibly consume in their waiting room would be that's what i'd like to see that'd be very that's like very I'd, old I'd, yeah. I'd like to i'd say i'd like to see that i wouldn't really like to see that i don't think that's very interesting it's a very all. like old school vice thing we asked a bunch of dentists like what they yeah. hate to see in their in their client in, in their patients mouths um and that, that could lend itself to a lot of uh there are a lot of things i feel like as a dentist or a dentist assistant i probably would not want to see um, and maybe monster energy is one of them, but uh, among other things, which is to say, if you do want to read Rasheen's essay on monster energy, do buy the copy of the book for show. The, the book will be in the show notes uh, or the link to purchase the book will be in the show notes. But uh, Rasheen, we, uh, we, we brought you back on because you wrote a very interesting essay on a, a forum that this was the first time I had come across it. Uh, Phoebe, you're much more familiar with it and we'll introduce that in a second. But 
Uh, I do have a Fred Durst uh, update, a Durst update uh, for everyone. Uh, we don't do these as often as we should, but uh, I was sent this by a fan of the show. This is from a um, this is this is from a guy called uh, Sir Collect a Lot, um, who makes 3D toys as well as collects them. Uh, he makes mm-hmm. action figures of uh, celebrities. He's kind of so I'm, I'm looking on his uh, I'm looking on his uh, Twitter profile right now, and he's made like uh, he he he's made a 3D action toy of Christopher from The Sopranos, um, and he has done Post Malone and Jer- uh, Jerry from Seinfeld. Uh, so lots of lots of different characters, but the one the reason why I brought this up is because he recently made a Halloween uh, toy of Fred Durst called Evil Fred, um, with the well, with the uh, tagline "I hope you know he packs a chainsaw and he's got a chainsaw and a gun." And I thought that was just kind of cool. Is it is it cool exactly? I I I I I I think it's kind of cool. I don't know. Is that is that? Uh, did do you, do you not think it's cool? Do you not do you would you would you not be like happy if I got you an Evil Fred action figure? What am I gonna do with it? You could you could you could you could display it. You could display it on one of your very beautiful display cases. I've seen your display cases. But with my but with my things, with my <laughs> lovely things, I don't I don't I don't want the the evil Fred with my lovely with my lovely things. <laughs> but isn't his stance cool? Look at him there. He's got his hands on his hips. His legs are astride something. You could put him on another action figure of a horse. Yeah, oh, you could put oh, it. See, see, if you should have led with that. Power stance, Fred. <laughs> if I if I'd known that there was a possibility of putting him on an action figure horse, then I think that would be a different situation. Do you, do you own entirely. Do you own an action figure horse? Like, is that was that like a possibility? I have a uh, I have a, a a keeper horse. Yeah. Um, somewhere I don't know where it is actually. Which um was which was a which was a present from uh, which was a present from an ex because I'd I'd told him about how I hadn't been given a keeper horse when I was little. I see. And, and he and, and he and he seemed to have formed the impression that this was quite a traumatic event in my life. Um, yeah. And so you know, fair play to him. Did I think? do quite a lot of searching before he could find sorry do either of you even know what i'm talking about Rasheen, Ooh, what's you... a keeper home oh okay oh my god okay so the so the keepers were uh were a range of uh of children's toys from like the mid to late 80s into the early 90s and you could keep stuff in them they each had their own like ah, okay. like hollow middle so you could keep your, your trinkets in them and and they had their like their own key and they also had like a weird little creature pal who was called their finders who was supposed to be a, a kind of plastic impression of a of a blown up image of a of a flea i'm like I, i'm honestly like describing this as 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 an adult i'm sort of I'm, I'm i'm struggling to get to grips with what the semiotics were but there was there was a snail there was um, there was a swan. I had the swan. That was fine. There was no issue with the swan. The swan was lovely. She had a little pink sparkly crown and pink and purple hair. And you could open up her wings and keep your stuff in there. But the one that I really coveted was the horse. The horse was the was like the kind of was like the like the white whale of the keepers. Um, mm. it, it came out like after all the others, and I'd seen all these pictures of it, and it was this kind of glorious. Um, sort of pink and purple, sparkly sort of princess horse, and mm. I had been promised 
the keeper horse for a birthday and then another friend of mine had one and my mum was bringing me round there to like for a for a birthday party and she saw what the keeper horse actually looked like and she decided it was like really kind of gaudy and tacky and that she wasn't going to get me one because she thought it was too gaudy and tacky and she thought the swan was much nicer um <laughs> and I sort of told the story because I thought it was like a funny story and my ex obviously heard this as I need to find her this fucking horse <laughs> and so like went searching and 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 bought me this. I don't mean to sound ungrateful. Like it was a really, really nice thought. But also I was like, and what do I now do with this toy that I now see that my my that my mother was quite correct about its general <laughs> gaudiness? Do I have to am I obliged to like put it out somewhere? Like, does this have to does this have to go like what on the mantelpiece? Like where do I just like go haha and then like I was, and then I was like okay like I need to work out like if he spent a lot of money on this thing and he he must have spent quite a lot of money on it because they are not easy things yeah. to find and it was just such an interesting um example of just like a really nice thought but it's all quite like a kind of ill-judged ill-judged execution so what I could do is I could look that out from wherever it is it's it's around here somewhere and then put fred on it yeah you finally you finally have a good use for it that, that, yeah, i think that'd be finally. kind of fun did your relationship last long after the horse the horse gate horse fiasco <laughs> what can only be described as the horse fiasco um I feel like, I feel like a fair bit of time it was quite early it was quite early on um and uh yeah and so I did just like sort of put it on a on a shelf I think and it just it didn't it, it didn't look quite right with with my other stuff I don't really have any any other toys to, yeah. <laughs> to kind of feel like, to make yeah. it not, not look out of, out of I feel I feel like if you're going to do action figures so like I don't know whether you guys must have seen it I'm not saying that you know I I say like you guys must have watched these videos of like um star wars or like star trek nerds and you know on on youtube where they have like their toy walls um mm. but you must have like seen them before and i feel like if you're gonna do that you either have to have a shelf or a wall filled with toys or you don't i feel like yeah. having like a few toys on a normal shelf that that's a bit weird and i say this as someone who has a few toys on a shelf at home and who has a wife that says hey you should you should put them somewhere else because they look those those look weird. Your horses are too gaudy. Yeah, but my, I mean, my 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 <laughs> horse my my, ho my horses are all like mecha, like Japanese mecha, like you know, toys and stuff. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, my 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 poor wife is, but you know, she's like, can you please just take them to your office? Like, you know, just put them on your shelf or your desk over there. Uh, why do they have to be here, like next to the cookbooks and the plates and stuff? And I'm like, well, I have nowhere else to put them. Sorry, but it does look weird. She is right about that. It does look weird when you know. So I feel like the only way to have toys is to have lots of them in a dedicated space. I worry now hearing your story, Phoebe, that I am the sort of horse giver of the relationship <laughs> that I'm in. But it wasn't a horse. Early on in my relationship with Rob, my, my boyfriend, I gave him a slab of orgone. And I was like, <laughs> you know, you can charge your energies with this. Like, it's good vibes. Here, take this orgone. It was in the shape of a pyramid. And I mean, he was very grateful, but I haven't seen the orgone since. And I certainly haven't seen him doing any spiritual charging with it. Or, you know, his his energies may well be quite depleted 
your drones would be I'm of just, use. I'm just looking these up. I, I, I quite like these. Oh, this is the oh, keeper. Nineteen eighties. Yeah, so that so that's that's what that's what the keeper horse looked like. Do you take the saddle off and it goes inside? Yeah, stuff? yeah, yeah. So you unlock the saddle and then you can keep then you can keep your bits and pieces in it. Oh, we will. Gosh, I will. I will put a picture. I will put a picture of this horse on the Instagram like thing, so you can you can see what we are gonna what we are talking about rather than just hearing our reactions to it. She's yeah. very Tumblr. She's like proto Tumblr. Yeah, like I. This is the thing. Like I think that he sort of formed. I think that he formed the impression that I was, um, that I was sort of really holding on to this grudge when what actually happened was because I was what five years old was I said I want a keeper horse and my mum said yes and then she said no and then I went oh and then got over it quite quickly because I wasn't a little monster um so I don't know if I like just told this story wrong I thought it was like quite a cute story but he obviously thought he was going to be able to kind of heal some latent childhood trauma I'm interested in the orgone is it was it like was it one with like like inclusions in it or was it just a kind of solid no it had the layers the the kind of thing that looks like broken glass and then the ah, okay. on the top it was actually me passing along the the magical uh, benevolence because a friend gave me orgone years ago and he told me it was made by a rogue catholic nun who had like left her nunnery to make orgone for the people and it enriched my life i don't know how but Kind of. I kind of want to hear more about the Royal Catholic Nun as well. Oh, I want to know too. You'd have to ask him though. But it, yeah, I guess it raises the question of who makes the organ Catholic nuns. Are they are they allowed to? Doesn't it doesn't that feel a little bit kind of witchcrafty? I would imagine, yeah. yeah. I like in Ireland there's a publication, um, it's some church newspaper that they circulate, but they've said that um yoga is bad, it's demonic. Mm. And so is Bertold Brecht. Why? Oh, yeah. I forget the name of this paper now. What is it? The oh man, Catholic Weekly or something? I don't know. It's just like promoting bad ideas, you know? Like, but what specifically? <laughs> What's your courage? <laughs> Could it be the Catholic voice? Or it's, it's either the Irish Catholic or the Catholic voice. Every, like, every edition tells you more bad things, you know? We just get it <laughs> through the door in Dublin occasionally. Just like the list of stuff you're not this allowed is actually, to get. Yeah. This is actually really interesting. Because I don't know if either of you are familiar with this, but there is um, an entire sec- like entire segment of on YouTube of um, what's called uh, Christian yoga, which is like obviously just people who want to get into the kind of yoga influencing space, but don't want to kind don't want to alienate their, their their kind of Christian conservative audience. Mm. So what they so what they do is they say, oh yeah, no, no, it's yoga. But like, don't worry. It's not. It's not the scary foreign yoga. It's. It's. This is Christian yoga, and it's the same. It's like exactly the same. They just don't use any of the Sanskrit names. God um, warrior one. God warrior two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's no, no, no. It's. It's. It, 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 it's. It's really cracking. Particularly since the like the modern like practice of yoga is not that similar to the to the ancient Indian version anyway like the like the um the one that we that we use now is like was like mediated through a kind mm. of redisc- kind of european rediscovery in the early like the early 20th century uh so i just i just i just love the idea of being like no no don't worry don't worry you can you can you know you can align you can align your chakras and you can connect with your breath and you can you know you can have a lovely stretch but not in a way that is in any way demonic 
I would be yeah, so but, curious to know what Shavasana is like at the end. Like, what are they meditating on? Well, I imagine it's like, thank, like at the end, it's like, you know, thank, like, thank the Lord and thank Jesus Christ and stuff. The question, but in relation to that, I was like, well, what would they kind of call the chak? What would they call like a chakra, right? You know, like what, what's, what's the sort of Christian version of that? Humors? Humors. Med- medieval humors. Yeah. <laughs> I have a I will, friend who trained yeah. in that with like clowning. Sorry. Totally. <laughs> But like it was like humor, humor related clowning. Okay. There are classes in that. Like you can learn to be a phlegmatic clown. What? What's a phlegmatic clown? That's so funny. Oh my god. Interrupted you there. Sorry. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. I think that's the best interruption we've ever had. Um, what what is a phlegmatic clown? She got like diagnosed. Like as part of the workshop, they would like locate your most prevalent humor in your body, and then your uh, clown character could evolve around that. Your clown well, you know, character could evolve. Well, you know the um, the wife of the of I think he's like the speaker of the house in the in the USA practices this kind of Christian like Christian counseling, which is based on humors, and like she diagnoses people as phlegmatic or choleric or, or like you know full of green bile or whatever it is it's amazing it's uh and like honestly i think it's it feels like one of the one of the least harmful things that that an american christian conservative could possibly believe or possibly go around go around saying i wouldn't mind knowing what kind of humor i was none of them sound good though no none of them sound good i think that i think that's the problem i think that what they need is they need an influencer marketing strategy so they need to get in (laughs) They need to get in a girl with very subtle fillers and a very wide funnel neck jumper. And she needs to give them new cute names. Wait, I'm just looking at them now. There's blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. No, no one wants any of those. At no least with like Ayurveda, you know, all three sound kind of cool, like an mm. intriguing. You can yeah. learn to love your, your dosha. But like who wants black bile or phlegm or yellow bile? Well, that's what, yeah, I, and this is where I'm sort of on board with Phoebe's thing, for saying that we need influencers to, like, market those as desirable traits. I mean, like, you, like, like you, you, you say that, that, that he's, like, basing his clown persona around what his, what his um, humour is. Like, that, honestly, to me, that doesn't sound any more wacky than a love language. I don't think that's, like, and that's, like, so straight into just sort of the average, the average lexicon. I don't think, I don't think that's, I don't think it's so much weirder. I, I honestly don't. <laughs> like a love language or a Myers-Briggs type or any of the other, yeah. any of the other, like, astrology that wants to pretend it's not astrology stuff. I yeah. think it's, I, I think that's, I think that's fine. <laughs> how do you, how um, do you test yeah. what kind of humor you are? Is there a, is there a quiz? I hope so. See, this is when I, this is times like this is when I miss BuzzFeed because <laughs> I need, I need, I need a quiz. I need a humor quiz. <laughs> well, look, we can, we can maybe do something like that. We could like, you know, that, that could be one of the things that we do at the end. Like what kind, yeah. What kind of, what kind of phlegmatic are you? Uh, are there different kinds of phlegmatic? I thought you were either phlegmatic or you weren't. There are two types of bile right, and one okay. type of what, phlegm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, okay. So the phlegm, so phlegmatic is unique but potentially disgusting oh here we go many classification schemes for temperament have been developed and there is no consensus says this on wikipedia (laughs) i want some consensus this is going to need to come straight from the pope i need a papal bull (laughs) on this subject uh i'm just i'm just going through the wikipedia page i feel like i feel like we could get really lost in this yeah, I feel so, like we need so to come back I, to it. I feel like we need to come back to this, and we do need to do the BuzzFeed quiz at some point. You know, yeah, I think yeah, so. what, what kind but of? I think 
you know, I think how- we should probably talk about what we got. Yes. Yeah. Should we? Should we? Okay. No, yeah. Should we? To make the humorous cool. It starts today. Yeah. This is a valuable new route of making money in the wellness sector. Yeah. People want to know what their humor is. Yeah, I you know, think that's true. The, 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 the best kind of couple is a like a, a, a phlegmatic a phlegmatic BF and a, a choleric GF. That's that's my. I'm Demi Billiards. Demi Billiards. <laughs> Um, yeah. Okay. Let 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 one. We we will do this quiz. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll do this quiz with Rasheen at some point in the future. But Rasheen, uh, yeah, we did before we get lost in before we get lost in uh in 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 in, in all this, and there is a real risk that we might. Uh, we invited you to come on because you wrote a piece uh fairly recently in the Irish Times about um well it, it's about a website or called Fragrantly of of uh, uh, uh is the first time I'd kind of come across it, but Phoebe, you had actually. Uh, come across it like before and so you have much more familiarity with this but uh rasheen in your piece like i think the sort of uh one of the underlying things that you talk about is uh like what how what what does the post social media internet kind of look or what does a post social media internet look like but also the kind of broader question is like can you still have fun online anymore and your time spent on this forum suggests that perhaps you can but there are like you know, you sort of have to really put a lot of work into it. Before we get to that element, though, could you tell us a bit about your piece, how you came across this website that I can't, whose name I can't pronounce, uh, and what kind of posts do you see on this site? Yeah, thanks for uh, making it the subject other than Durst and the humors, which which are pressing concerns. <laughs> um, yeah, I kept getting asked to write opinions pieces um that sounds very like i'm taking for granted the opportunities to get paid to write but i have to say like i'm, I'm scared of putting up this um i i usually disagree with the ones that i read and <laughs> and i usually intensely dislike the people despite who write them despite not knowing them at all and uh, i guess that's the point right but like i don't like the idea of myself becoming one of those people and uh, I'm ever since bringing the book out, especially I've just I'm not a hot take person. I used to be, but I just kind of for the good of my own well-being mm. tend to avoid it. It incites my my bilious humor. And um, so after a while, I was like, well, it's silly. I'm turning down the opportunity to work and to write something. But maybe I should just choose something really ridiculous that just gives me joy instead of something that keeps me awake at night. And uh, I realized over the like, I've already been interested in perfume for a very long time. I used to collect those little tiny bottles and I hoard samples. And more recently, you know, when you kind of convince some, you convince yourself something is for research, for writing, and actually you're just spending way too much money ordering like samples of obscure things and they're arriving mm-hmm. post every week and i tell myself well at least i'm not buying full bottles but it's still like, no one needs i'm probably at like close to i don't know i'm probably approaching 100 samples that i just carry around with me in a giant bag now of perfumes i have to write something about it like bigger than that piece but that piece was like the trial for maybe writing something else and i'm yeah. so happy to hear you say this i also <laughs> have i have one of these bags as well the, the mad bag of perfume and oh, yeah. i am also addicted to ordering samples it's so fun anyone listening who like is interested in perfume actually okay so wait i, I kind of tell this like it's a story with a beginning and an end but the real beginning is that uh it hasn't ended yet and the beginning is that i lost my sense of smell from covid 
And when I came back, I was like, I will never take you for granted again. Uh, so I thought I'm going to learn about perfume and like try to identify notes and discern different, you know, things. And then all these questions started coming up, like, what does an era smell like? And how does one find one's identity in perfume? Or is that even a thing that people do anymore? Or are we all just trying to like become a different person every day? And maybe, you know, your clothes and everything, you know, that's all part of it too. But your perfume is this, it's like a portable atmosphere around you, isn't it? Mm. And then so how that factors into Fragrantica is, Fragrantica is um, a kind of, it's a website. I mean, it has a front of house with like a small number of people writing for it. It has owners. Mm. I learned later that the owners are rumored to be uh, Russians who are very pro-Putin, which is unfortunate. Oh. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's true or not. It's It keeps coming up on like Reddit threads and it's always used as this like, I don't know, guys, they're kind of fucking mad. Um, and I don't actually know if it's real or not. But the thing about Fragrantica is it's the users that I'm interested in. It's not the, the people writing. It is a forum where people review perfumes. And the average Fragrantica page, like Reddit is great too. There's a, a fragrance subreddit. But I think Fragrantica is very interesting because it's a clunky, old-fashioned looking website. It, it doesn't load very well. And then it has all these little kind of metrics through which you you rate the perfume. You can link it to something. Like I know you wanted to talk about recommendations. Uh, a big part is, you know, you have a list of perfumes that, it, that something will smell like. You have algorithmically determined, like from the reviews, it takes little kind of things that people keep repeating about it. So you have things like, you know, prose, smells of roses cons smells like a granny you know um, and uh people write these long rambling often oddly personal often quite beautifully written or just evocatively proposed reviews where they imagine the person who might wear this or they try to convey the mood that it puts them in or you know just even the basics of trying to describe a smell which is not easy so it's kind of that thing that always makes me interested in internet culture. It's a written mm. culture. It's a creative written culture um, as much as, as it is just people, you know, reviewing perfumes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. I'm, I was so, I was so excited to read your piece as well because I've been wanting to do something about Fragrantica for a while, but like, I wasn't, I was like, wasn't like sure of the way in because I wasn't sure if it was best to get, in a kind of like a perfume specialist to like talk about like the history of perfume which can be like sort of super interesting but but I really wanted to talk to somebody who is like is like not a specialist who's just like an enthusiastic amateur um and so like when because we wanted to have you back on for a while as well and then your piece came out so it was a kind of so it was the it was the it was the organ I looked (laughs) in it and the energies aligned um and uh and and here and here we are discussing it it's like it is possible to spend literally hours of your life reading uh reading Fragrantica and be absolutely no closer whatsoever to being able to make a decision about what perfume you want to buy or even what perfume you want to go into a shop and smell like this is it it, it's not really for that it's it you're right it's a it's a creative outlet it's a kind of collaborative, creative outlet. And the people involved don't get anything out of it, as far as I can see, other than the sheer pleasure of discussing perfume. Yeah, 
Completely. It's, and they're not often, I don't think anyone uses their real name. Um, I know some people do build up a little bit of a kind of reputation under whatever pseudonym they use for their reviews. Um, and you get these kind of characters who show up on like the fragrance of Reddit, um, doing like little mini reviews and, you know, especially witty or weird or memorable posts. But by and large, it's just a sea of anonymous people talking about this extremely intimate and sort of aspirational thing, but also just this thing that genuinely makes them happy. I went, I was like going through the forum, uh, like for the past couple of days, and there's like some really, uh, just like just as like a little sample. So, uh, and I'm I'm just looking at the website now. So it kind of ranges from uh, what kind of fragrance should I wear to a funeral? Uh, this is like a seven page thread, which is like a mixture of um, it's a mixture of uh, fragrance reviews, but also questions such as it depends on who is dead. It depends on whether you are actually the funeral director. Apparently, you've got to wear something different if you are, and there is a specific kind of fragrance that um, fra- that funeral directors supposedly wear. Um, I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know that. Uh, there's like conversations about vintage. Uh, yeah, the, the vintage perfumes. Uh, what to wear during a fall day. Uh, like an awesome day. Uh, toilet spray. One was quite an interesting one. So there's like kind of there's like quite a lot of. Uh, it 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 sort of the the way that I was looking at it. Um, and I and I'm really interested in your thoughts on this, Rasheen. Is uh. They're sort of it, it. It works by way of like recommendation, but it's it's not quite recommendation in the way that we understand it now, which is mostly algorithmically. And it's an interesting thing to think about because, like uh, last week when we were talking to uh, Uber Butler about Amazon, we also talked about how the algorithm had kind of been kind of embedded into our everyday experiences online, and so it's very rare to sort of like go on line to sort of look for something specifically because you're kind of you know knowing what you're looking for rather than having stuff recommended to you and your searches and your purchases sort of being orientated around those recommendations like the idea that in order to sort of transcend the sort of recommender algorithm you really have to put the effort and the work in in order to do so but this kind of felt like even though people are sort of coming in for recommendations and are receiving um and are receiving them it doesn't feel as oppressive as an algorithm. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I wondered whether you got, because you sort of touched on this a little bit in your book as well. Um, I wondered whether you got in that impression from kind of reading these threads, like that the recommendations that are being given feel different to ones that seem to be like churned out by an algorithm, even though both are sort of recommending products. Yeah, it's so interesting to think in terms of how AI could affect this industry, because like, like ultimately everything has to come into contact with skin. That's the end goal of every product. And perfume notoriously reacts with body chemistry. Um, so someone who got on well with one thing might be able to tell you if they like if they got on well with another. Do you know what I mean? Like it. It's, and the other thing is on the actual industry side, I just read an amazing book. I mean, it was it was just very entertaining called The Ghost Perfumer by a guy called uh, Gabe Oppenheimer or Oppenheim. I think it was Oppenheim. So he was missing that mm. crucial er to be uh, topical this year. But um, he wrote this book all about this kind of hoax within the perfume industry of uh, a famous perfumer who, who's basically cast off perfumes were taken by another perfumer and passed off as his own for years. It's, oh, it's such, if you're into this stuff, it's like extremely 
nerdy on perfume, but really, really fun to read about um, and an interesting story. But like the industry itself, talk about things being like they were in medieval times. You have to, you know, you have these masters and you have, they've given their whole lives to this thing completely behind the scenes. And then you have the people apprenticing with them um, and serving years and years, you know, and then it all comes down to just a little like selling a book, I guess. It just comes down to someone liking something or not. And then throwing it away. But I can't see a place where a machine could viably intervene in that process. You know, um, I guess you could have algorithmically made perfumes. I don't think they would work, though, it, like in the greater scheme of things, because it, it relies on originality. It relies on like you, you, you could make mass market stuff, but then there's this enormous market in niche now as well. But then yet yeah, to sorry, to going off on a tangent there, because really it's about recommendation. Um, yeah, it works in that sense. It's sort of delightfully old fashioned. It's just people ticking a box being like, this, you know, reminds me of this or click the note that's in the perfume, say like the top note or the mid note or the bass note. And you can follow through and find out what other perfumes contain that note. And then reading reviews, you can find out, you know, if it's prominent or not. Because the other hilarious thing is it could be marketed as one thing, but smell completely Mm -hmm. like something completely different. Um, but so, yeah, there is obviously an algorithmic gathering of people who tend to like this also like this. But I find mostly those are the more kind of generically popular, you know, everyone likes Baccarat Rouge or um, the one that's a big joke. It's almost like a meme is uh, the men's perfume mm. Sauvage marketed mm. by a heavily photoshopped Johnny Depp who got the 21 million, <laughs> was it, deal? Right at the peak of the Amber Heard trial. He, he mm. renewed his deal with Dior. And it was the same year that Dior sent T-shirts down the catwalk with the word feminist on them. Lol. Um, yeah. But Sauvage is like a big kind of joke on those communities. They keep calling it Sausage. And uh, it's just sort of associated with male desperation. <laughs> yeah, because like, uh, another thing that I, that I sometimes do, I don't know whether you ever do this, Rasheen, is I look up perfumes that I either like or have worn in my life to see what the fragrantic community say and I always end up getting hugely offended by what they have to say what they have to say about them even though it like it doesn't like it doesn't matter I have worn the same the same two perfumes now for like for over a decade I have one that I wear in the spring and the summer and I have one that I wear in the autumn and winter I change over October what are they um they're both they're both they're both diptyque um it's a lombre Dunlow in the summer which is like a really kind of like it's like a fresh um kind of almost like mineral kind of black currency rose and in the in the winter I wear um Lo Duel which is like vanilla and incense and it kind of it kind of smells like an old church but like an old church with a cake in it they have one called Fleur de Peau and I smelled it at the airport and I nearly started crying because it smelled like the night air that I used to like growing up. I remember from especially in autumn, I would stick my head out the window at night and just smell the air. Um, and it's like they bottled that. Yeah, like they, they, they do. They, they, they do. They do such nice perfumes. And so just and just like so just once I thought I'm interested to see what uh, what the fragrance community say about um say about I went with the I went with the winter one and one of the Fragrantica posters was like yeah like this is nice if you like a kind of you know if you like a 
a very linear vanilla scent and I immediately like closed the tab and <laughs> was like how, how dare you how dare you it's not a linear vanilla scent um and even though it doesn't matter it doesn't matter I'm never gonna meet these people um and also like and a really important thing is that perfumes smell completely different on different people um so even like the idea of there being of there being a kind of recommendation is sort of, is sort of a nonsense like i yeah. um the fact that i always wear the same ones does not prevent me from from buying samples by the way <laughs> i still <laughs> i still but i still buy samples um and um and then like i just sometimes i wear them for a bit and but then but mainly i just I want to have them. I just want to keep them. I know they're the precious. It's because they're, the they're precious. It's because they come in these like lovely little vials, yes. and I've just like got them. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't keep, I don't keep them in a bag. I keep them in a in a kind of plastic acrylic drawer thing. And every so often, I just like open them and just like look at them all kind of arranged. And particular, and something that I find really interesting is that particularly when you. Um, when you when you look up like the like the reviews from like very, like very famous perfumes because now these days all mass market perfumes smell to me of either kind of caramel or burnt sugar mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what they're claiming the notes are the overwhelming smell is this kind of yeah this kind of burnt this sort like of candy caramel. floss kind of yeah yeah, yeah. It, yeah exactly like yeah like yeah. Like, like like candy floss it's and the it influence also, of baccarat rouge. Yeah, I think that I think that must be what it is. And like every time, like you think, oh, like a new perfumes come out from like a kind of like like a kind of fam- like sort of famous kind of like high street sort of high street brand, and you try it, and you're like, oh, again, oh, c- candy floss again. This is still mm-hmm. this is still just candy floss. Like you can claim that this is like this is like a green rose with you know pear and freesia, but it's not. It's fucking <laughs> candy floss. Um, and then if you go for like if you go for like more like niche sense like quite often they have these very kind of like difficult structures to get along with like anything animalic on me smells absolutely horrible it always just smells like like kind of ammoniary because that's just how it blends with my skin and then you but then you read like a kind of like long post about how like oh this like this is just this is just the most amazing smell and it was it floated it floated around me like it floated around me like this kind of diaphanous cloud and then I've tried it and I've just been like that just smells of cinnamon that's just <laughs> just so much cinnamon <laughs> what I find what I find so fascinating on Fragrantica is in a way the sort of the highest thing that you could ascend to as a perfume is what gets called the compliment getter. Mm. But then you have the phrase, and then you have phrases like, you know, beast mode, like beast mode perfumes, which have really heavy projections. But then you see on the same thread, people expressing complete contempt for the like tangibly smelly people of this world. Like the people who do actually have beast mode or like say a compliment getter implies it's noticeable. And, ha- and then that raises other questions like, is any of this even, does any of this have a point or are we the only ones who can smell ourselves? And are we like <laughs> spending so much money and time and theorizing and researching and all of it only to have what gets called a skin scent, which no one else can smell? <laughs> also, by the way, perfume companies, I think it's the oil houses I learned, are being investigated right now for a 
potentially being a cartel because oh. the prices have been inflated so much and they all seem to hover around like for anything niche it's like 200 euro mm. wow or i don't know sterling but the equivalent yeah and, uh, yeah i don't know it's it's gone it's gone up it's gone up yeah. hugely like i um i got my mum some for her birthday and um the stuff that she wears used to cost like used to cost like what 65 65 quid for 50 for 50 mils and it's gone up to 95 mm. just in the last year so that that was pre- that so that was that was pretty surprising um i i love the stuff about like the noses yes. and like particularly like when a new perfume comes out and you get told this is the nose behind um behind a behind a particular perfume and yeah like you're right it's exactly like a like a like a renaissance painter they have like a studio and then people are trained to nose like in their like in their method so like when if you buy a perfume you don't know whether it is the nose behind i don't know almond jane or whatever or it's like from the studio of the nose but Mm -hmm. even that is sort of ridiculous because they're going to smell things differently because different people have different senses of smells and different people's skin chemistry makes perfume smell different. Yeah. How how is your how is your sense of smell? Mine mine is like mine is very very strong. It's really it's really annoying. It makes my life very difficult. Mine is hormonal. I wish it was consistently strong, but it seems to change throughout oh, the month. Yeah, and I'm also a very um, allergy-prone person, so I have days where I can't smell anything at all, and I get really scared. I had this like moment of horror where I had bought this beautiful. It was started the summer, and I bought this beautiful little sample set of Frederick Mal Malin, I think it's pronounced. I can never remember what these these little perfumes, and I sprayed one. And then I realized I think I had COVID again because I couldn't smell it. Like I literally put it to my nose. I was like, no, no. Um, but then there are just perfumes that I can't smell anyway. Like um, that famous, really popular uh, by Rado, Gypsy Water. I've tried that three times and I can't smell a thing. Like I'm literally mm. completely anosmic to it. Um, but yeah, the noses, I think you'll enjoy the ghost perfumer if you're interested in reading it. It's always, oh my god yeah, the I noses know, all know each other there's like a love triangle at the nose factory at one point and they <laughs> they have to two of them get banished to america from uh, france and like it, it's just nuts like it's this tiny little world of people the one who i think has designed the smell of an era right now i might like obviously francis kirk Dijan is up there as well but yeah. i think quentin Beach. Quentin Beach is, I think, the smell of an era because I would just walk into like so, so many times I've walked into a lift or something and I can smell good girl and I, and I can smell all the different knockoffs or the flankers of good girl. And I think that's him. And then he's made some other ones. I'm really interested. He works for Givaudan and they have access to this thing called Agikawa wood and no one else has it. And he puts it in everything. And I'm just the mystery of it. It's derived from patchouli. That's all I know. Ooh. That reminds me. That reminds me of something. What does that remind me of? Oh, it reminds me of Anish Kapoor's color. Oh, is it um a blue? Or no, that's Eve Klein made a blue. No, that's no that that's 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 Eve Klein who 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 copyrighted the blue. I can't. I'm gonna look, I'm gonna look this. Vanta black. Yes, I think it might be. All of this stuff is just like it's it's so it's so it's so incredible. And I think this is like what you're getting at in the piece is yeah is that the use of the internet even when we're talking about like the like the collaborative and participatory areas and places that are built up by the users themselves 
I think that we are sort of coming to see that the that the model where the subject is yourself has 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 compre- has sort of comprehensively failed on on a kind of social and cultural level even people who are able to make good accounts of themselves on on web on on sites where all you've got is your is your digital persona and your opinions and your jokes and your and your links and so and so on and so forth and we got to go back to posting about something and whenever you come across these parts of the internet you're you're being given a kind of a, 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 like a, a window into this into this like rich and unusual world quite often something that you know nothing about and there are all these people who know loads about it mm. and that's so much more i think that's so much more emotionally and spiritually valuable and enriching than it is just seeing a bunch of people behaving as if they're kind of press release officers just day in day out it's a funny one to be talking about like even this week because it's just so gleefully ignorant of actual world events and like it feels i felt almost guilty going into recording this because i was like it's just awful awful things happening in the world right now and Mm. you know and what's been really interesting over the last week or two is I feel like I'm experiencing something I was a little bit too young to experience when the Iraq war was happening or starting where I just don't know what to believe and I don't Mm. really trust much of what I'm seeing and I don't know even where I can get stories from that I honestly completely believe I feel like I'm hearing blatant propaganda in front of me and like that's on the that's on just the actual news websites, but then and then TV and anything. But uh, like I was talking to my boyfriend about my use of Reddit, which probably is at the problem stage <laughs> lately. But he was like, "But why do you read it like so much when everything on it is subjective? You're just getting opinions. There's just people talking about something like mm. that isn't actually giving you information." And I was like, "Yeah, but I mean." I wouldn't, if it started crossing over into me believing everything I read on Reddit, that would be a problem. But there is something to be said for just it taking in other people's subjectivity, you know, and just quietly chatting. And I think the nice thing about that model with Fragrantica is that, like, it's never going to matter to real life. It's just going to be this lovely, charming little meta layer over life where you move through the world smelling people, not in a creepy way. But in a culturally engaged way, and that's and that's the whole point, isn't it? It's like how do you how do you consume and still and still stay engaged and still stay and still stay stay present? Like I've seen, I've seen quite a lot of um, what I think can only be described as um, as as a scolding of people who are not choosing to share. Um, share infographics shall we say Mm. because if you are not sharing an infographic then that must mean that you are looking away or otherwise um otherwise abrogating your responsibility as a as a as as a a citizen of the imperial core and its adjacent satellites and um i don't think that's i mean i don't think that's obviously i don't think that's correct i think that sharing something on a social platform is just it's just like just slapping a badge to your username. It's it's yeah. sort of meaningless. The mean the meaningful things are are direct action and donating. Those are the meaningful things that we can do. We can march. We can donate. We can buy SIM cards for Gaza. That's what we can do. 
Um, I don't believe for one moment that everyone who is just as soon as they see a, an, a, an Instagram infographic, which seems that it seems like it kind of chimes roughly with what they think about it, click share. I, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that means anything other than the fact that they've chosen to do it. Um, and, and they're and, making profit for a platform. And they're making yeah, and they're making and they're making profit for for a plat for a platform. And um, I think it's very I think it's very distasteful the way that kind of atmosphere then obliges people who know nothing about it to respond to it like it's another trending topic or another or another uh, yeah another oh respond to this video with your own with your own with your own video. And I've seen some. Like I said, some extremely distasteful <laughs> influencer explainers, uh, shall we say, not shall we say, knocking around, and um, a lot of the critic and 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 sort of people saying that it's yeah, you know, it's 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 social media that's going to that's going to bring this whole facade down. And I would I would I would I I would I would like that to be the case. I think that would be quite a sort of utopian like kind of utopian idea. I don't think it's right and I don't think it's true and I don't think that mm. I don't think that you're net that you're automatically looking away if you're not constantly mm. infographicking 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 is that is that the right uh, yeah I don't, I yeah, probably, I don't I, think I, I'm 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 willing to accept that yeah I don't I don't think that that necessarily means that you're looking away and actually I don't think that doing this sharing is something that you something that is necessarily a sign that you're meaningfully engaging with it or doing anything beyond the be, be, like beyond the sharing and there was a thing that i saw which was um a, perfectly reasonable in its intentions i think which was as there have been global outpourings of support for for um for palestine and for palestinian liberation um don't forget the other multiple multiple crises and humanitarian disasters all around all around the globe and there are these and there are these examples of them um and i know some people like to call that whataboutery but it's it's not whataboutery it's these things are just as important and should also be approached with the same seriousness and the same interest and the same engagement as as the as as the as the present moment and the one that i and the one that i saw that really particularly got to me actually was this terrible uh terrible information about um mining for a mineral which is used in technology in Congo and these statistics are sort of just 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 horrifying just horrifying reading as I'm sure as I'm sure you can imagine and they're also the sorts of things that make you think I don't think that the way that the world is currently set up I don't think that social media is going to bring down a key US ally because when has any kind of popular anything popular opinion has has had any effect on what comes down to western imperial financial interests like when yeah it it? Feels... I, know, I know that's i know that's grim and i know that's bleak but and it doesn't mean that i'm it doesn't mean that i'm not doing it because it's important to important to give hope and so on but so but i i read this post i read this post about about the about the hundreds and thousands of people who've died mining for this mining for this mineral and the terrible violence against against women and the millions of people displaced and the um and the uh western sponsored wars that happen 
to in order to kind of maintain control of these mining facilities. And I thought, okay, well, right, what what do I do? What what's what's the what's what, what's the next thing other than just consuming this consuming this horror and then passing it on to someone else like a kind of like a like a chain letter. And then the last slide just said, here's how you can help. You can share this slide. But this is so fascinating because this unveils, like we had this message right at the start of the social media era of this can change the world. This is connecting the world. This is bringing people together, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, if we take away that promise that there will be a happy ending, that all of this, like the same way that when we tell these like, deeply personal stories which have been so kind of native to the internet era you always have to provide the reader with a sense that you got better at the end Mm. and that by writing this thing you had your catharsis you know but by like making everyone believe that they were an activist by participating in the internet it had to have this promised goal at the end that it would work but if you peel that away what is social media except like the atrocity exhibition what is it except just consuming mm. other people's pain? Yeah. And I think like people going after other people for their perceived silence, God knows what they're like in their real life, by the way. You know, they might be telling everyone they know to, to donate or to protest or anything. But like it's the other side of something. I'm kind of speaking tangentially. Like I haven't seen this firsthand because I'm not even on these websites. But friends of mine have told me that there's a kind of conflating of actual war with culture war. Uh, where like it's about playing you know which side are you and laughing at the other one or whatever it's disgusting like Mm. are they actually joking like like their you know in enjoyment their same outlets where they just make fun of trans people and turn that into an identity can now be grafted onto israel and palestine are you actually joking like But it, it again is that illusion of agency isn't it i'm sure for me not making a lot of sense as i say this but giving people some sense of meaning or control in a thing which is ultimately just about how futile we are. Mm. I mean, that's all I'm feeling right now. I just feel futile. Um, a friend told me she wants to, she's a doctor and she wants to go to Gaza. And I found that out last night. And I'm like, half of me is like, I have to try and talk her out of this. And then the other half is like, no, this is exactly what I would wish I could do. You know, this is incredible. Like yeah. the bravest thing I've heard of. Um, this is the thing like this is like this is the this is the point that we're making and like i i am i am troubled by the idea that consuming suffering is supposed to be a kind of admirable goal in and of itself when i think that a lot of people find it like stupefying and um and it makes them actually unable to do anything um anything anything meaningful and practical because they've just they've just consumed so much of it and i think that if you like if you acknowledge like for example if you acknowledge how horrible it is to work in particularly in outsourced content moderation and the effect that that has on your psyche then the effect of 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 of, of reading of of reading and constantly consuming this 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 content because that's how it's packaged it's still being packaged as content regardless of the seriousness of the nature of it and so i mm. don't i i don't think there's anything wrong with choosing not to consume it when it's packaged as content and instead reading reading a bunch of people like fighting about whether or not um whether or not like the like the tom ford limited editions are worth the money like that's like that i think that's i i think that 
quite a lot of this gets conflated into this very kind of influencer and wellness led framing of what counts as self-care and you're allowed to look away you're allowed to you're allowed to look off you don't have to look at it you don't have to think about it and that's not what i'm saying at all i'm saying that i am not aware of of anybody that i know who seems to have become positively engaged and, and galvanized by consuming it as content they've just become extremely miserable and maybe the only reasonable response is to be extremely miserable but you have to do something with that mis- with that misery and social media exists to prevent people from doing something with it something oh, with yeah. their misery like so so and I think that's and I think that's been very I think that's been very obvious um obvious over the last little bit and Rasheen I'm interested in you bringing up Iraq because I do I do remember the I do remember the invasion and I um, I marched against. In fact, it's probably um, my first proper memory of of kind of serious, of kind of serious kind of political interest and political engagement. Um, my um, my grandmother marched against it right at the end of her life, even though um, everyone kept trying to tell her not to, and she just said, "Nope, nope, I'm going. You can't stop me." And it's like, "Well, no, it's true. We can't physically." Um, but anyway, she but she but she went and. It was, I really don't, because this is the thing, I'm really, really not trying to be like, like dampening. Like it's, it's really, really good when people are able to do something productive with their kind of sense of futility and their sense of misery. Because like I said, if, if nothing else, if you're giving hope to people who have, who have little, then maybe that, that, maybe that is, maybe that is enough. But the big thing that I remember of it was really, really thinking that the public outcry against the war would work. I I really did. I know I was a teenager and probably not that well versed in how things work, but I thought I thought it was going to work. Um I thought how can how can they ignore all these people in the street? How can they how can how can they like politicians are supposed to be like afraid of the mob? Like how can they can't just like pretend that all of these people whose like votes they might need, if if you're just going to put it as boldly as that, you, they can't just pretend that they don't all exist. But then I watched it, and I watched it unfold, and I watched the uh, the deliberate hounding of people who spoke against it, even in the mildest mildest possible way it was it was an end to your it was an, if you had were any kind of public figure it was an end to your career to to speak broadly critic broadly critically about um about Iraq it finished the careers of a number of a number of politicians and the and the and the machine went to work and even even when it has been widely acknowledged that it was a terrible idea that it that it didn't it didn't achieve any of its aims or its goals. It destabilized the region and has been and has continued to do so. Um, and it's resulted in hundreds and thousands of dead people who would not otherwise be dead. But even though people say, yeah, no, perhaps we were a little hasty, they still don't disavow it and they don't disavow their their role in cheerleading for it either. So I think people who are kind of roughly my sort of roughly my age and older who remember this quite so vividly are finding it 
a bit harder mm. to get too excited, shall we say? Because I, like I said, I really did. I really did think that it would do something, maybe urge some caution or something. But you know, I I remember the day of the invasion, and I thought, oh, they. They don't have to. They don't have to listen to us at all. They don't. And I, I wonder. This is a weird kind of segue to go from that, but like, I wonder what will become of the millennial generational earnestness, if that makes sense. Because previous to us, there was a kind of cynical generation, um, and a default irony or nihilism or something in between, but a kind of playfulness. Well, I think like I always think about this lately that like I'm I belong to the millennials and our time in the sun is coming to an end. And what has it added up to? You know, and and that era of like being told that social media made your voice matter. Mm. Um it's a very particular mm. thing because for, like going on a protest has this beautiful effect of it's like you've actually been there and been part of it. So you belong to a cause now. Social media, on the other hand, turns it into this identity building exercise, a kind of branding exercise. Mm -hmm. And in a way that kind of, I, I would wonder if that makes it easier to flip. And that's how you got a lot of people who maybe were formerly hard left turning hard right, because it's this fast moving reactionary platform, right? Or, you know, like, I, I don't know. I mean, there are examples of that and probably a lot of like non-committal people in between. But I, yeah, I really wonder what's going to happen when we realize that we didn't really give that much to the world <laughs> and, I think there is, and our institutions yeah. don't listen to us any more than they ever did, you know? I think there is a really interesting point about, and I'm conscious about time, so I won't like be long with this point, but it was something that I was thinking about um, a couple of days ago, actually, just about how easy it is to sort of like, you know, and it's such a like simple and benign observation, but it's so easy to share an infographic. Um, and, but the reason why I bring that up is that like, you know, uh, it, it, I, I think Rasheen, you actually made the point much more, much more succinctly than, than I am about to right now, but it kind of, uh, projects like participation without sacrificing anything, like sacrificing anything by way of yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, if you know, you can share an infographic and, uh, you know, I, I, like Phoebe, as you mentioned, like, you know, your activism can be to share an infographic or to share like you know, a post or something like that. And you can sort of, and that is presented as activism. And we've spoken on this show before, but also anyone who sort of studies the space can recognize that, well, there are benefits or, you know, the, the people who sort of create this type of content and not even like create it, but are just able to sort of steal it, like sometimes steal it and recirculate it themselves. I've kind of seen people who like have stolen content effectively from um, from Palestinians, but also from like, of you know, uh, during the Black Lives Matter uh, rallies in 2020, like people, there was like quite a lot of stuff about um, activists who um, found that their content was sort of being stolen by brands and by like big uh, meme kind of creators and stuff who were looking to pivot. Uh, like the whole sort of economy around this is very much one where they present activism as being this very sort of simple process of just sharing something. Um, but ultimately, the people who benefit from that are not the people who are sort of, you know, the people who need it, right? Mm. Um, but it made me think back to like, you know, so to, to sort of go back to like Fragrantica, uh, just the sort of idea that in these types of niche spaces, there is at least like when you sort of participate in these spaces, you kind, you know, you do sort of engage on, I don't want to necessarily say like a more human, like a more human level, but you know, when you're engaging onto a forum, you are sort of like part of this 
community like this small community and you sort of know your position within that um you know there are experts there are people who are sort of like enthusiasts that have a lot more knowledge than you you can't really pretend on these forums i feel like to sort of know what you're talking about maybe you can try but like i feel like it's quite easy in these sort of niche online spaces to sort of recognize like who's faking and who isn't but on instagram like you know People can, you know, you can sort of present yourself as something you aren't. It's incredibly easy to do that. It's incredibly easy to, you know, eight patterns. If you know how to do engagement really well, you can sort of project yourself as being much more knowledgeable about a topic than you actually are. And so I wonder whether like part of the thing that you, you know, part of the thing that you hit at in your article, Rashin, is like in these types of spaces, there, there is at least a degree of um, there is a there is at least like a better determinant of like truth or at least uh, a better way of understanding like positionality on like a forum or on a message board than it than there is on social media and perhaps the sort of in like you know people sort of finding these spaces more enjoyable again comes from this idea and I, I think you spoke about it actually a lot earlier on the show which is um you know you you know being online means it's always going to be perpetually difficult to determine like what is actually true and what isn't what is factual and what isn't but you know, on certain certain kind of platform or in certain on, or on message boards and on forums, maybe perhaps like getting to that truth is a lot easier than it is on you know Twitter or Instagram. I don't know if that makes sense actually, because that's like trying to summarize quite a lot. I was just as you were saying that I was thinking the only fights that I really see like serious kind of proper mean meanness playing out on fragrance forums is around like people trying to demonstrate their knowledge of molecules. <laughs> like getting really snobby about molecules um, yeah. but outside of that it's almost like there's this divide between the people producing the perfume where they may give you a basic pyramid of what the notes are but there's no kind of full explainer of is this actually a clone of this or yeah. you know does this is this actually a natural thing like that they're saying it is or is it some synthetic I whatever else but like so it's almost like we the the we the, the users of the perfumes and of Fragrantica are all these detectives trying to like find an agreed upon interpretation of what a thing is if that makes mm. sense and a kind of yeah. consensus will arrive over time if something is super hyped you know but like there is no real it's never going to end because it's like a game you can never win the, the perfumes will keep being produced and your curiosity mm. won't stop and like it's just this wildly subjective thing and whoever can make their subjectivity the most captivating is the winner it, it's funny for me in that context because I'm, I'm teaching creative writing right now and I basically keep coming back to that when I'm talking to my students. Like, there's no way to get 100% on the test here. And there's no way to lay claim entirely to the truth of what you're writing about. Mm. But there is an engaging way, maybe which is honest about its flaws, or maybe which just artfully conceals the limits of the, the author's knowledge. Um, there is a way to make that subjectivity memorable and engaging and convincing mm. in its own way. Um, and that's, I think it's just a creative writing exercise. That's what it comes down to, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think that's a good way. Do you think that's a good way to end it? I feel like that might be a good way to end, end the episode. This is a, that was a great way to end the episode. Thank you so much, Rasheen. <laughs> um, no, thank you so much for coming on. We really, actually really, really enjoy you coming on. It's always like, a, we have like very good and really fascinating conversations. So uh, thank, again, thank you so much. Uh, if people aren't familiar with your work or want to read your stuff, we will put the article that we, we are talking about on this episode in the show notes. 
But if people want to read more Rasheen, how can they do that? Follow me on the internet hellscape. And I'm hoping to sell another book soon. And hopefully that will get out there in the world. But for now, the disconnect exists. And uh, for any monster energy enthusiasts, there's very little perfume in the disconnect, but there is monster energy. <laughs> well, that you requires a... a perfume. You could you, dab you, it on. You could, and they should produce one. They that should requires make a, its own they nose. Make a fizzy perfume. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, why like, not? Yeah. You, gives you energy. Like the caffeine yeah. is absorbed derm into the mm. skin. And, yeah. Fizzy yeah, perfume, yeah. Fizzy perfume, savory vapes, yeah. We're 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 starting savory a merch store soon. Savory vapes, uh, that Hell that yes. that yeah. Uh, that is actually apparently being in that that is actually apparently being made. There is a company in Germany that is making savory oh. vapes. Uh, we may or may not be getting some fairly soon. We'll see how that goes. We're getting um, into we like all... Wonka factory territory now, like four course dinner, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh we'll put all the links to our machine stuff in the show notes do check that out uh thank you for listening to this episode of Ten Thousand posts we really appreciate it we have lots of bonus content on our patreon patreon.com forward slash 10k post podcast five bucks a month you get lots of yeah you get like more 10k posts you get film reviews you get uh, more interviews you just you just get a lot of good stuff and it really helps us to uh, do the show helps us do this without ads and to stay editorially independent uh so we really really appreciate that do consider supporting if you don't and if you do thank you very much um i don't have any plugs phoebe do you have some plugs um yeah you can subscribe to my Substack, which is um the twisted mind of phoebe phoebe roy.substack.com um in the interests of absorbing things which take you away from the horrors i have been consuming every possible piece of uh piece of tudor content that is available on the current streaming services <laughs> and i'm writing something about that about that now um i've successfully managed to train things so that they only show me tudor stuff so i'm having a having a great time having a great time working my way through uh, all that is all that is available um there are going to be some links for places to donate in the in the show notes um so so mm. you at least if you're like you're doing something um if you obviously if you obviously if you can um and yeah no i think that's it i think cool. yeah that's, that's it yeah definitely yeah do check those out as well and do donate if you can do that um, this show is produced by Devon. Follow them at Devon underscore on Earth. Listen to Kill James Bond if you don't already. Uh, and I think that's it from us. So until next time, we'll catch you later. Bye.